Welcome back to the Joke Show here on the Dion Family Network, episode 18. Missed the Friday episode. You know, stuff happens. But uh, we got NBA Finals, MLB Playoffs, the NHL offseason so far, and a pretty entertaining NFL Week 5. So let's get into, first, the NBA Finals. Three games behind, actually. Game 4, the Lakers take it, 102-96 behind a strong LeBron, 28-12 rebounds, uh, 8 assists. Anthony Davis, 22 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. And then the depth scoring for the Lakers, which I think clearly is what's making the difference, but it's hilarious once you hear Game 4 and 6 compared to Game 5. So again, LeBron, 28, Davis, 22, uh, KCP 15, Danny Green 10, uh, Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma both had 9, Alex Crusoe with 7, Rondo with 2, Dwight Howard, and the rest of the bench with 0. It's amazing that they won that game. Just just looking at those numbers, being a little further away from the game, still, it's, it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's, it's why they're here. But I mean, even on Miami side, if you just look at how they played, Jimmy Butler, 22 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Tyler Hero, 21.7 rebounds. Duncan Robinson with 17. Bam with 15 and 7. Jay Crowder scores 8. Kendrick Nunn, 6. Kelly Olenek, 4. Andre Godala, 3. Andre Godala has been a disappointment in the series. I think Miami wanted him on this team for his veteran leadership, for his defensive ability, for his finals experience, which he does. It's this six straight NBA finals and he just is the eighth ninth tenth guy in the team that just really hasn't been scoring much and I think it's a, a, a big reason why this series went the way it did but with that the Lakers go up 3-1 series series on the line game five the Lakers going with the Black Mamba jerseys they were undefeated in the playoffs up to that point and then just a ridiculous game five, which was which was Friday. I think I think the real obviously the story that everyone's that everyone came up with out of it was about LeBron James in the last play. But let's give credit to Miami. Miami wins 111-108. Nail biter down the stretch. Jimmy Butler plays forty seven minutes. He rests for only thirty five seconds of the entire game. He scores thirty five, gets twelve rebounds, eleven assists. I mean, and then the real reason why Miami won, Duncan Robinson goes off. He scores 26 points, goes 7 for 13 shooting from 3. Besides that, depth scoring, again, Kendrick Nunn 14, Bam 13, Hero 12, Jake Crowder 11, Andrew Godala scoreless. It's just, it's amazing that somehow that balanced enough scoring and Jimmy Butler leading the way gets Miami that crucial Game 5 win. I mean, on the other end, LeBron, 40 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists. Anthony Davis, 28 points, 12 rebounds. KCP again, 15 in Game 4, 16 in Game 5. Danny Green with 8, Kyle Kuzma 7, Rondo 4, Dwight Howard with 2. The Lakers lose this game. It's It's the end of the world, but I mean, the real story is just kind of this last possession which I think you can't blame an entire game on that and 
So LeBron has the ball in isolation, starts driving to the basket, gets, I don't know what you want to call it, quadruple team, triple teamed. Bam Adebayo is ready to meet him at the rim. So what does he do? He makes the smart play. I don't care if they lost that game because of that shot. You can blame it on that. Getting Danny Green, although he hasn't been that consistent of a shooter in the series, getting him a wide open shot like that is the right play. I don't care if, because everyone's reaction, Michael Jordan would have taken that shot. Kobe Bryant would have taken that shot. Sure, there's actually footage, obviously not in an NBA final situation, where Kobe takes a shot exactly like that and it gets blocked. So it's, it's the smart play and you can't just blame the entire game where LeBron scores 40 points. You can't just blame him for making the smart play and his teammate didn't hit the shot. That's not really, to me, you can't blame, obviously it's the end of the game, so that's what everyone's going to remember, but at the end of the day, this team is going to live or die by the decisions LeBron makes, and that was the right play. No, No matter who you ask, that's the right play. Miami probably isn't happy about Danny Green getting a shot that wide open, they can say they are now because he missed, but if he made that shot, he's going to be remembered a lot differently. And because obviously at this point, LeBron's at the point as at the level where we're not comparing him to everyone else in the league. It's who does he rank with all time? I know Michael Jordan has hit clutch shots. Obviously, he hit the one against Cleveland in the free throw line. That was in the first round, I think. Obviously, he has the iconic push off, kind of maybe not push off against the Jazz which should have ended his illustrious career. He also he also gave up shots in big moments. John Paxson hit the game-winning shot in the 93 finals. Steve Kerr hit a crucial shot in the 97 finals. He passed Jordan has passed up shots. Kobe gave the ball to Ron Artest in 2010 with the Lakers against the Celtics. Just because you're the best player doesn't mean you have to take that shot. It means the ball is in your hands to make the right play. And more often than not, LeBron makes the right play. I think it was just crazy that they lost in those jerseys, which made, I think, everybody realize Game 6 was going to be something different. And it was. The Lakers, they take Game 6, they win 106-93, which it doesn't even deserve to feel that close. A lot of garbage time played. For the, for the Lakers, it's their 17th championship as a franchise, 12 in L.A., 5 in Minnesota. You can count those up how you want. I don't really care. It doesn't make a difference to me. LeBron is the finals MVP in that game six, 28 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. It doesn't feel – lackluster isn't the right word, but it just – I think this whole game just especially coming off the high of game five, game six just like really let down. By the second quarter you could tell the Lakers locked in on defense and Miami really wasn't gonna have a shot. Anthony Davis chips in, nineteen points, fifteen rebounds. Rajon Rondo also with nineteen. KCP again, seventeen. Consistency. That's what the Lakers needed. I I know it's not gonna sound great saying this, but he was just scoring-wise, he was their third option. 15 in Game 4, 16 in Game 5, 17 in Game 6. Danny Green comes back with 11, which anyone who threatened Danny Green or his fiance for missing that shot, just 
shame on you. It's sports. It's it's fun. We're supposed to be there having fun. I don't care if they get paid millions of dollars. They're playing a sport that we all can play, not at the level of them. They're out there having fun. They're trying to win a championship, and you think it's what do people think that's right to you miss this shot so you don't deserve to live that's so everything about this person is about basketball they don't just exist as a person it's ridiculous i know you care about your team but that's not that's just not caring about a human being who is on your who just so happens to be on your team if Danny Green isn't on this team, I know someone else will fill those minutes, but I don't think it's I don't think this ends the same way. The Lakers could still win that championship. Or this championship, I guess it's only like twenty four hours past, but without Danny Green, without that presence of someone that's won two championships with two different franchises, I don't think this ends the exact same way as everyone thinks. But yeah, Danny Green eleven points. Alex Crusoe for Markeith Morris and Dwight Howard, who Dwight Howard doesn't play the whole game. Anthony Davis starts at center, even though he likes to whine about it. And that's apparently a, it's a sin to have him almost seven feet playing center, but Dwight Howard hits a garbage time, deep three. It was, it was fun. He got on the score sheet at that, but that point the game was already over and it was just a matter of what the celebration is going to look like. But you got to give credit to Miami. Bam had the best out of anyone in that game six. Again, not like any stellar performances, 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. Jimmy Butler kind of comes back down to earth. I think he was averaging over 30 points in this finals, 12 points, seven rebounds, eight assists. Still not horrible, but again, we're not blaming Jimmy for this. He ran out of steam. I don't think that's something you can really fault him for. And this Lakers team just shut him down. Jay Crowder also scores 12. Duncan Robinson with 10. Kelly Olynyk 9. Kendrick Nunn, 8. Tyler Hero, 7. Solomon Hill even scores 5. Goran Dragic, who just, you could tell, even if he was feeling better, his foot was feeling better, you could tell he just wasn't in the flow of the series after only playing in game 1. He also scores 5. The Lakers are the 2020 NBA champions. It's it's good in a year like this, especially. They didn't talk about it as much as I thought they would, but obviously a Laker legend and Kobe Bryant passing away. The Lakers win a championship. LeBron the whole playoffs has a finger, like a finger tape, I guess, just something to protect his finger that has the number 24 on it. This it's kind of destined. It was it was meant to happen, I think, in a year like this. And I mean, for LeBron, it's his fourth NBA title and eleven tries. I don't care if again this isn't. I don't think this is the forum for a LeBron Jordan debate. But LeBron does become the first player to win uh, three Finals MVPs with three different teams. I think that's not funny, but I think that's just. It makes sense for this era. LeBron has had four or five stages to his career. This kind of feels like, not the twilight, because he says he's got a lot of playing time left. I'm sure it's kind of just keep playing at whatever level he's at, and then maybe if his son makes the NBA, that's the last chapter of his career, is getting to play with his son. I think that'd be really special. But for this Lakers team, they say they're going to run it back. I think 
the NBA next season, whenever that starts. I think we've kind of given up on it starting at any point this year. Maybe end of January. I th- I've heard it could go as late as March. That's If that's just the reality of it, it is. Owners want fans, and you can't really blame them for that. But if you just think about all the teams that are coming back, let's, let's just quickly, the Lakers... You assume they're going to bring back. Well, LeBron's still under contract, but you assume Anthony Anthony Davis is going to come back, come back. It's the defending champions. You can't count them out. You got Houston. If they don't make any huge changes, they'll still be a competitive team. Denver, another year of experience. Um, the Clippers. The Clippers are going to be coming back with a new coach and some fire under them. Really just going off uh, Utah, I guess, Portland. I mean, the real the real scary team coming back next year is Golden State. Obviously, we don't know what level everybody on that team is going to be at, but they have the number two pick. They have that Andrew Wiggins contract. They clearly have a move to make to bring in another star, close to star talent. Should be interesting. Even... You go through the East. Miami's going to be back next year. They'll probably make a couple changes, but I don't think they should change too much. Milwaukee and Giannis are going to be another year stronger. Toronto, you assume they're coming back, and I know Marcus Gasol is gone. You assume they'll make a few changes, nothing too drastic. The Brooklyn Nets are going to be Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, which the last time we saw Kevin Durant at full health it was back-to-back finals MVPs so him in the east that's that's awesome the 76ers team now with Doc Rivers it seems like they're giving him Beaton Simmons kind of one more year to to go for it it should be I'm obviously gonna forget obviously got those younger teams the Pelicans the Mavericks even I guess the Timberwolves could be fun the Suns they had a great bubble run They've got a. They've definitely got some moves to make. This this NBA season is really lining up. Especially whatever happens in free agency, it always swings the pendulum of the league. It's 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 obviously for the Lakers. You go and celebrate now, but for everybody else, you just look forward to next year. Whenever it starts, whenever we hear buzz and news, whatever form they bring it to us in, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun teams battling it out. So it'll be fun to see. Uh, next up, let's go. Let's go to the MLB playoffs again. Missing a week means we're a whole round or into another round at this point. Uh, we're just gonna do this kind of quickly, series by series, uh, because. At the last time I recorded, we'd already gotten through game one of Tampa Bay, the Yankees, and Oakland and Houston. So, uh, first series up, it was never really that close. And amazingly, for the first time in history, we can say this, the Miami Marlins, the Florida Miami Marlins franchise has lost the playoff series. They lose game one, nine to five. Again, they're playing in Houston. Just quickly through the scoring, Acuna hits a home run. Miguel Rojas hits a home run. Uh, Miami takes, scores uh, 
three in the third from a Cooper double and an Anderson single. Then the Braves just kind of take over bottom of the third. Ozuna doubles, Acuna scores. Travis Darno doubles, Ozuna scores. Then the seventh uh, with Atlanta still down. Uh, Ozuna has singles, scores Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman. Just to tie the game up, Travis Darno hits a home run. It's a, or sorry, Freeman doesn't score. Travis Darno hits a three-run shot. Gives the Braves the 7-4 lead. Dansby Swanson hits a two-run home run, 9-4. And then Matt Jose, Joyce uh, hits single, scores a run, 9-5 final. Again, for for Atlanta, they kind of string together this Max Free, Darren O'Day. Will Smith gets the win. Mark Melanson with the not technically save, but uh, closes them out. Take a one nothing series lead, and again because this baseball playoffs is so fast, game two, bit of a well, I mean a definite low scoring one, two nothing. Ian Anderson gets the win. Uh, Melanson gets the save this time. Dansby Swanson, Travis Darno hit solo home runs in the second and fourth. Braves go up two nothing, and they look like they are dominating the series. I mean, they were dominating the series, and then Game 3, no different story. Sixto Sanchez, four, uh, four unrun, earned runs in three innings. Uh, the Braves just poured on Ozuna. Uh, Ozuna hits Acuna in, one nothing in the third, and then Travis Darno doubles, gets Ozuna and Freddie Freeman to score. Dansby Swanson hits a sack fly. Freddie Freeman uh, singles, ends up being a double due to a fielding error. Okunia scores. Swanson hits in Albies. Duval hits in Swanson. The Braves win 7 nothing. They travel out to uh, Texas for the NLCS, which we'll get there. But next up, the ALCS or ALDS. Uh Houston takes game two, 5-2. Chris Davis hits home run to center in the second inning. George Springer hits a two-run shot in the third. Carlos Correa grounds out. Michael Brantley scores. Chad Pender hits a home run. Martin Maldonado hits a home run. George Springer hits a home run. And 5-2 is the final. That's game two. Game three, the Astros save, or the Athletics save their season. 9-7, 9-7, Tommy Lastella home run, Jose Altuve home run, Carlos Correa, fielder's choice, scores Michael Brantley, uh, Mark Canna home run, Matt Olson home run, Marcus Simeon home run, Aledmus Diaz home run, two-run shot, uh, Brantley scores George Springer in the fifth, uh, Alex Bregman doubles, Brantley scores, Kyle Tucker singles, Bregman scores, and then 7-4 at that point for the Astros. And then the A's just poured on. Chad Pender hits home run. Murphy hits a sack fly. Score Grossman. Then Chad Pender hits a sack fly. Ramon Laureano scores. 9-7 final. The A's save their season. And hand the Astros their first loss of the playoffs. And then game four. The Astros 
eliminate the A's in four games. Ramon Laureano home run, three-run shot. Michael Brantley comes back, hits a home run. Carlos Correa comes back, hits a three-run shot. Braves are, or the A's are down 5-3. Ramon Laureano brings them within one. Michael Brantley makes it two-run game, and then from there, Carlos Correa singles in Bre- uh, Bregman. Kyle Tucker singles in Altuve. Carlos Correa singles in Brantley. Jose Altuve, two-run shot. That's 11-4. Marcus Simeon gets Grossman in. Tommy Lastella hits in Simeon. 11-6. Final score. A season's over. The Astros travel over to San Diego for the NLCS, or the ALCS, in a National League ballpark. Next up, Dodgers, Padres from... Texas uh, Dodgers take game one after Nola Austin Nola hits a uh, deep single to the left center uh, Will Myers scores and then from there uh, Justin Turner score oh uh, Justin Turner scores ties it up in the fifth bottom of the sixth Corey Seager hits a sack fly Justin Turner hits a single. Chris Taylor scores on the first. Mookie Betts in the second. Cody Bellinger infield single. Justin Turner scores. Mac Munz- Mac- Max Muncy scores on a stamina wild pitch. 5-1 final score. Dodgers sneak out with game one. Keep their playoff streak going. 6-5 winning game two. Uh, Will Myers doubles, gets Tommy Pham to score. Corey Seager doubles to score Austin Barnes and A.J. Pollock. Max Muncy singles to score Seager. Cody Bellinger hits a home run. Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer hit home runs in the sixth. Justin Turner hits a sack fly to score Mookie Betts. Max Muncy singles to score Corey Seager. Then top nine. Uh, Mitch Moreland doubles to right center. Trent Grisham singles to deep right center to score Moreland. Padres bring it close. Dodgers hold on. 6-5 win. Hold a 2-0 series lead. Playoff streak continues. And in game three, they unfortunately, they eliminate the Padres. 12-3. Pretty high scoring game. Uh, Cody Bellinger, fielder's choice, scores Max Muncy. Uh, Cronenworth walks with bases loaded. Eric Cosmer scores. Trent Grisham singles to score Will Myers. Uh, Dodgers take over from the third to the fifth. Uh, Corey Seager infield single. Uh, Bet scored on the throwing error by Tatis Jr. Uh, Justin Turner singles to score Seager. A.J. Pollock singles to score Turner. Jock Peterson scores. Uh, singles to score Bellinger and A.J. Pollock. Will Smith scores Mookie Betts in the fourth. Mookie Betts hits a sack fly to score A.J. Pollock in the fifth. At that point, it's already out of reach. Manny Machado scores on a balk. Will Smith doubles to deep right. Uh, scores Mookie Betts and Justin Turner. Cody Bellinger triples to score Max Muncy and Will Smith. Advance to the NLCS where they wait for the Braves. Finally, the playoff, the uh, best playoff series so far, A's and the Ra- or the Yankees and the Rays. Uh, the Rays take Game Two, seven five. 
Arezarena, Giancarlo Stanton. Actually, this is pretty much all home runs. Mike Zanino hits a home run, hits a two first two. Arezarena, Stanton solo shots. Zanino two run shot. Manuel Margot two run shot. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton brings it close. Three run shot in the fourth. Kevin Kiermaier singles for Joey Wendell. Austin Meadows hits a home run. DJ LeMayhew singles in Gio Urshela. 7-5 final. Game two raised high up the series. Game three Rays take the series lead. Charlie Morton now duels Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, Perez singles in the first inning. Uh, scores Joey Wendell. Aaron Judge hits a sacrifice fly in the third. Kevin Kiermaier. Kevin Kiermeyer, three-run shot in the fourth. A Rosarena solo shot in the fifth. Aaron Hicks doubles, scores DJ LeMayhew also in the fifth. Perez hits a home run, two-run shot. G-Man Choi doubles. And Giancarlo Stanton hits a two-run shot in the eighth inning. Not enough. Rays take game three, eight to four. Uh, game four. Four Yankees keep their season alive. Uh, they win 5-1. Luke Voigt hits a towering shot in the second inning. DJ LeMayhew hits a sack fly, go up 2-0. Brendan Lau, uh, fielder's choice. Uh, Willie Adamas scores, makes it 2-1. Glaber Torres, two-run shot in the six. Kyle Higashioka singles in Torres in the eighth. And a 5-1 final. The Yankees force a game five in which the Rays take it. 2-1. They move on to the ALCS. Diego Castillo with the win. Aroldis Chapman with the loss. Uh, an all-home run game. Aaron Judge hits one in the fourth. Austin Meadows hits one in the fifth. And I couldn't even, Mike, Mike Brasso, Brasso? Uh, hits a home run in the eighth. Off Aroldis Chapman. The Rays win 2-1, ALCS bound, and they face the Astros, which I think this is this is one where everyone everyone is cheering for Tampa Bay. They've gone through two games. Game two was tonight. Game one, the Rays took it 2-1. Blake Snell getting the win. Valdez with the loss. Uh, Jose Altuve hits a home run in the first. A Rosa Ra- Randy Ro- Randy is it Randy? No, I can't remember. A Rosa Rania, which I'm going to look up now, so I don't remember. It is Randy, who has who's just every is on every ball has probably been the best hitter in the playoffs so far. He ties it up at one in the fourth, and then Mike Zanino hits a single, scores Willie Adamas. Tampa Bay Rays take Game One, two one. They just finished or no, just finished Game Two because every game is going to be back-to-backs. Uh, Manuel Margot hits a three-run shot in the first. Carlos Correa hits a solo shot in the sixth. Mike Zanino hits a solo shot in the seventh. Uh, and then George Springer grounds into a double play. Yuli Gurriel scores. 4-2 final. Razor up 2 nothing. And it's the Astros pitching. It's It's just it's caught up to them. They don't have the depth that the Rays have. And really, at this point, they don't have the offensive firepower and the ability to change things around. 
the Rays could throw any lineup at you and it's all going to be the same. It's They don't sacrifice just based on who's hitting where. It's kind of like what the Dodgers have done with Cody Bellinger. He's hitting sixth or seventh in the lineup. The Astros' best hitter so far has been Carlos Correa, and he's hitting sixth or seventh in this lineup. But for now, 2 nothing. It's not really time to panic if the Astros, game three tomorrow, go out and win that one, and you're right back in the series. Although the Rays really have all the momentum in the world. They've won. They won that close one with the Yankees. That's now their third straight win in these playoffs. And at this point, they, I don't want to say they are bound for the next round, but they are looking pretty good. Uh, finally, for the MLB playoffs, Game 1, NLCS, I don't think anyone really saw this coming. The Braves and the Dodgers, two undefeated teams coming into the series. Obviously, one of those streaks at the end had to end. The Braves take it 5-1. Just how dominant the Dodgers have been all year, I don't think it's what anybody expected. Freddie Freeman hits a solo shot in the first inning. Kike Hernandez answers with a home run of his own in the fifth, and then just a ninth inning of an Austin Riley home run, uh, Marcelo Zuna single to score Ronald Acuna, and then an Aussie Albies two-run shot to score Ozuna. And from there, the Braves take it. 5-1, Max Freed goes six innings, Walker Brewer goes five, and then from there, they just kind of piece together the innings. And for... For the Braves, going from Freed to Martin to Will Smith to Mark Melanson, just six, one inning, one inning, one inning. Then you check the other side. Bueller goes to Buster Gratterall, goes an inning. Dustin May, an inning and two-thirds. Uh, Gonzalez, who I don't know his first name, Victor Gonzalez, goes third of an inning. Blake Trennan, who gets the loss, also goes a third of an inning. And then Jake McGee goes two-thirds of an inning. They kind of have to piece this together for the Dodgers again, especially because it's game one. You you just you can't panic. It's, it's going to be okay. You still got good enough pitchers. I'm surprised Dustin May threw in this game. I assume he's going to be pitching in game two or three at some point. They still got Kershaw. They still have the pitching advantage, even though Ian Anderson did pitch well in that Miami series. It's still an advantage for the Dodgers of having Kershaw or Arias. They have the arms to do this. It is not panic time in L.A. And it should be interesting to see. It's it's fun to see this team that has looked so good all playoffs kind of have their backs against the walls because the Braves have also looked as strong, but... Just look at the regular season the Dodgers had. They went 43-17 and 17 and looked untouchable, and now there's a team that isn't scared of them. And it's fun to see. So that's it for the MLB for now, the rest of this week. So come Friday, we'll be through. I mean, we could be done both of those series, but not really counting on that. World Series will be going down in Texas, so advantage to the NLCS just that they don't have to travel but yeah episode the episode Friday will be wherever we are in these MLB playoffs come that time 
Uh, next up, the NHL offseason, I guess, to this point. The NHL draft really wasn't that eventful. I think the only thing now is that uh, Lexi Lafreniere officially signed his entry-level contract with the uh, let's say the Raiders. The Rangers, he's going to wear number 13, and he's going to be on this team come opening day, whenever it is at this point. Gary Bettman said that they're aiming for January 1st, which be fun. Start the season off with a Winter Classic and a full slate of games. Don't know the fan situation, obviously. We're still a little bit away from that. But yeah, the draft was just more about kind of trading picks, except for, I guess, Matt Murray got traded from Pittsburgh to Ottawa in a very low-risk deal for the Senators. They signed him to, I think, a bit too much money than a lot of people would have said, but, I mean, that's really that's really up to them. Trades really was Max Domi and Josh Anderson got traded for each other. It was Max Domi and a third-round pick to Columbus for Josh Anderson, in which both teams immediately signed. Josh Anderson got a big pay raise. Max Domi signed for, I think, a little bit less than people expected. Josh Anderson's the exact guy Montreal needed, a big physical guy that can be on the ice, just not just a guy that can punch people in the face. He's got some scoring touch. He had an off year last year. He was injured for most of the year and couldn't even come back during the bubble, like the bubble situation. Uh, for Columbus, I mean, Max Nomi clearly had a rough relationship with Cole Julian. I don't know how that's going to go with John Tortorella. That's... I guess that's their problem to figure out. Uh, besides that, Paul Stastny gets traded back to Winnipeg from Vegas. You could tell this was Vegas trying to put together a run for a certain defenseman. We'll get there. Once free agency opened, I think the biggest and craziest had to be, eh, maybe not biggest, the craziest, just feeling had to be Henrik Lundqvist signs a one-year $1.5 million deal with the Washington Capitals. It's going to be weird to see him in that jersey. He's going to be there to mentor Ilya Samsonov, who looks to be a young, promising goalie, having a veteran presence like Lundqvist, who he's going to want to compete, he's going to want to play games, but he's also going to see this kid and know that he can flourish with a help from a legend like him. Besides that, there's, to me, really two teams, and one of them I'm completely biased towards, but I still was just happy that they did something, but not the team I cheer for, but they did have a successful free agency so far. It had to be the, the, the Leafs, the Maple Leafs. They signed Wayne Simmons, a Scarborough kid, a local kid that is a big guy that can score goals if need be. He can get physical. He's just a presence that can play on your third or fourth line which is really they paid him just over a million dollars that's what you need from him they also signed two defensemen Zach Bogosian Stanley Cup champion with the Tampa Bay Lightning this year again a big physical right-handed shot exactly what this team needs and TJ Brody signed him for four years at five million per year it's a lot of money considering they let Tyson Berry walk I guess it's just a different fit. Brody, a pretty successful defenseman in his days with the Calgary Flames, played with Mark Giordano for stretches. Just just interesting to see if one of Bogosian or Brody are the answer for Morgan Riley's defense partner, which I think after the Leafs thought, oh, we just need we need to get bigger and stronger, 
after that, it's who's going to play with Riley because he had Ron Hainsey, who all the power to him. He's a veteran stay-at-home defenseman, and then he had Cody Cece, who was just a wild card. I I think it's a debate about if Morgan Riley's the number one defenseman, but he at least needs a serviceable partner to figure out if he can be. Besides Toronto, I mean, again, completely biased. I thought Detroit had an amazing free agency so far. They had a lot of cap space, which before, and this was this was when Ken Holland was in charge. He's in charge of the Oilers now. He made some smart moves to this team, but before when Ken Holland had money, he would just spend the most on whichever big name he could find or big name to him. And this time... They signed Bobby Ryan, one year, one million. They signed Troy Stetcher. They signed John Merrill to sure up that back end, which is pretty young and inexperienced. Then they got Thomas Grice, that, uh, I think a two-year deal, $3.5 million per year. Just a goaltender who can be a part of a tandem with Jonathan Bernier, but at the end of the day, you know Grice is going to be the 1A in the situation. And then, lastly, they signed Vladimir or Vladislav Nemestikov, who was actually the nephew of Slava Kozlov, who was a Red Wings legend in the late 90s, early 2000s. Kind of a nice, I don't want to say hometown reunion, but just a nice reunion nonetheless. So for the Red Wings, they were the worst team in the league, and out of those signings, they at least have a competitive team. And I think that's all really the, their expectation should be. Besides that, just kind of, just kind of want to go through the bigger names that have already moved. So I think Braden Holtby, and sub- subsequently this uh, tonight actually Nate Schmidt, they went to Vancouver. Holtby free agent signing. Nate Schmidt got traded for a middle round draft pick. Uh, after that, Jacob, uh, Jacob Markstrom, the former Vancouver goalie, goes to Calgary, six years, uh, six or seven million dollars, pretty big deal. And then the number one free agent actually came off the board. That's why I was going to wait till Friday and talk about this to wait until he signed. But Alex Petrangelo signs a seven-year deal worth eight point eight million dollars per year with Vegas, leading to Vegas trading Nate Schmidt clear up the cap space i thought for Petrangelo, it's a great move for vegas you get i'm not that they didn't have a number one defenseman in shea theodore but just a good one of the best right-handed shot defensemen in the league and gears them up for another stanley cup run this year already talked about lundquist and the reason why Petrangelo went to vegas is tory krug former bruins defenseman signs with the blues 6.5 million dollars a year which made me think how much were they offering Petrangelo maybe they didn't have that money and they liked a younger left-handed shot to add to Colton Pareko and Justin Falk and Vince Dunn a very solid top four but it looks I don't want to say a lot a lot worse but definitely not as good without Petrangelo uh, other than that, Chris Tanev, another Vancouver guy out the door, goes to Calgary along with Markstrom. Uh, Taylor Hall signs a one-year $8 million deal with the Buffalo Sabres. This is really just – this is their home run shot to Jack Eichel. Here's a former 
MVP of the league to play on his wing. If they can't make it work with those two, then it's really just not worth it at this point for the Sabres. Uh, I don't want to say a smaller move, but to me, definitely an interesting move. Devon Taves, who I thought had a great uh, playoffs in the bubble with New York Islanders, traded the Avalanche for a couple of draft picks. Uh, Tyler Toffoli signs in Montreal, adds a veteran scoring winger to an already fun and young group. And finally, out of the ones to me that at least were, I don't want to say most significant, but just interesting nonetheless, Tyson Berry, former Leafs defenseman, signs with Edmonton one year, $3.75 million a year. And for Tyson Berry, he had a great time in Colorado. He had a rough year in Toronto, to say say the least. Now he gets to go to Edmonton. He'll probably be the quarterback of the number one power play with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and really whoever they want to put out there. So for Barry, it's pretty low risk signing. For Edmonton, they get uh, top four. I mean, at least a top six defenseman to help this team try to take the next step. So that's obviously if there's more news by Friday, any significant at least we'll definitely get to that but for now let's go on to nfl week five uh thursday night game the chicago bears take down tampa 20 to 19 the real real two big things that came out of that was chicago actually hit a late field goal and it didn't hit off both goalposts, which i think is a huge step up for the bears and uh tom brady incomplete pass at the end of the game that he thought was third down it, obviously they've gone back saying they knew it was fourth down but after Brady threw the pass you could see a moment where he was standing there holding up the four holding up his four fingers and everybody else knew that the game was over at that point he was the only one that didn't and the Bucks have had a really good start to the year now the Bears are four and one which is hilarious but should be interesting for the Bucks moving forward at that that I don't want to say brain uh, that lapse of judgment but just that kind of mistake if that affects the rest of their season in some way another team in that division actually two two of the teams in Tampa Bay's division faced off Carolina took down the Atlanta Falcons 23-16 again Panthers just keep winning without Christian McCaffrey. The Falcons fall to 0-5 and subsequently fire head coach Dan Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrov. I think this was a long time coming. I think you need to, for this Falcons team, you're 0-5. It doesn't really look like your season's going anywhere. I think they just need a fresh start. And I think Julio Jones has been missing the last couple weeks, but this team just... They had a fun. They had fun aspirations, at least not. They had aspirations to be a fun team at the very least, and it's just it's kind of sad just watching them. I mean, I cheer for them, so that makes it worse. But I I just kept p- picking against them because I knew they just they were favored to win this game against Carolina at least at the beginning of the week, and I just I couldn't understand why. Why would we believe this team? They've blown double digit leads obviously they lost the Seahawks but 
Just with Dan Quinn, it looks like they kind of gave up on him. And it's too bad, but for Carolina, let's just keep this train rolling. This is a fun team to watch. Next up, another divisional matchup. Baltimore takes down Cincinnati, 27-3. Joe Burrow, just a rough game. Baltimore really, really dominated them. There's not really much else to say. Baltimore still solidifying themselves as one of the top teams in the league. Again, they're going to have a Kansas City problem come January, but I think teams are starting to see the blueprint of how you do it. Before we get to that one, it's a former Kansas City coach, which uh, this weekend, uh, Romeo Cronell became the oldest coach in NFL history at 73 years old. And he led the Houston Texans to a 30-14 to win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, getting their first one of the year. I don't want to sound salty about it. I did pick Jacksonville because I found out it was Romeo Cornell. And I remember Romeo Cornell because he was a former coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was not a good coach. And it's always, I always remember when teams fire their coach, they always come out firing the next week. So I need to remember that for Atlanta. I don't know if I can trust them anyways, but Jacksonville had every chance to be in this game and they just kept blowing it at every opportunity and it's too bad to see but it's good for Houston because they had a really tough schedule to start the year uh next up probably one of the games of the week the Las Vegas Raiders take down Kansas City 40 to 32 Kansas City scores a late touchdown to make it seem a little closer than it was Vegas just it almost wasn't obviously it's an upset just because of the names and Kansas City had been on this winning streak going back to the regular season last year it's it's definitely impressive the Raiders offense looks really good it's firing on all cylinders I don't think the Chiefs defense is that good especially how good they looked against Baltimore but they just kind of the Chiefs look like they've not let their foot off the gas but they just they let teams stay in games and the Raiders just took that game from them the Chiefs aren't really playing for this anyways. They want to go win a division title and go on another Super Bowl run. That's really what they're here for at this point. Next up, Arizona. They take down the New York Jets, 30-10. to Good for Arizona to face this Jets team at this time. I guess we're talking about at this point for the Jets, It's is Adam Gase going to have a job? I, I think he gets through the season at this point because the Jets just know they're bad and what's the point of firing your coach if you know you're going to be bad. But for Arizona, it's hopefully for them, it's winning this game means a jumping off point because they have one of the best offenses in the league, at least on paper. They should be competing for a playoff spot, even in the really good division that they're in. Next up, Pittsburgh. The Steelers take down Philadelphia 38-29. Chase Claypool, rookie receiver, outer Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh just finds these receivers every year, it feels like. He scores four touchdowns, three receiving, one rushing. The Steelers almost blew a big lead at one point, but Claypool was the one to put it away. Eagles are kind of struggling, but... The door seems to have opened in that division, at least a little bit. Next up, definitely one of the feel-good stories, although the LA Rams take down the Washington football team 30-10. to 
the real story of this though has to be Alex Smith. He comes back and plays in a game for the first time in two years. He had multiple, I think, upwards of 20 surgery. It could have been more than that. At one point, they thought he could have lost his leg. At one point, people thought he could have he could have died from what happened, a gruesome leg injury. He comes back with his family in the crowd. It's such a feel-good story, and he just gets swallowed up by the Rams' defense. It's It's really sad, but... The Rams just looked really good, and especially with that disappointment last week with the Giants, they really proved themselves as one of the best teams in the league. Next up, Miami just completely dominate the San Francisco 49ers. They end up winning 43-17. to Jimmy Garoppolo plays the first half, looks really rusty, gets rested for the second half, and this game was pretty much over by halfway through the second quarter. It was such a blowout, and... Shout out to my mom because she picked San Francisco in our eliminator pool and she was complaining about us um, because we tie, or she tied one week because she picked the week that Cincinnati and Philadelphia tied. So she thought she should have been winning and now she has a loss. So tough for her. Uh, next up, Cleveland Browns. They take down the Indianapolis Colts, two teams that I do not trust at all. This week I picked the Browns just because better defense and Phillip Rivers is not that good. Indianapolis had a lot of injuries. Darius Leonard, they were missing their left tackle. I think it was Anthony Costanzo. Browns just look good. Not ready to crown them anything yet, especially that I think they're still the third best team in their division. But they're 4-1 for the first time since 1994, in which... Bill Belichick was their coach. So, I mean, that's an accomplishment in itself. Uh, Probably the saddest game of the day, the Dallas Cowboys take down the New York Giants 37-34. The game didn't really feel like it mattered. Dak Prescott goes down with a just horribly gruesome injury, which I, I didn't wish I saw because when he got up, his foot was kind of I don't want to describe it too much. It just, it looked bad. I mean, obviously, prayers and a speedy recovery because not a speedy recovery as if, as if a well-deserved recovery because that is one of the best quarterbacks in this league, and if the Cowboys don't pay him, somebody will, and that'll be the Cowboys' mistake for letting him go. Uh, Sunday night, what a... What a thrilling game. Even the Monday night game. But Sunday night, what a thriller. Minnesota, so close to taking down Seattle. But Russell Wilson, uh, should just start calling us the Russell Wilson podcast because he's picked him for MVP at the beginning of the year. Still going strong. I think it was the end of the game situation, which I think is pretty important. Minnesota, deep in Seattle territory, has a fourth and one, fourth and inches. They're up 26 to 21. So your two options are either, uh, it's also, I think it was under the two-minute warning, so Seattle would have had to use timeouts and getting a first down would pretty much ice the game at that point. So you either try to go for the first down and ice the game or you kick a field goal, you go up eight points so that if Russell Wilson's going to drive down the field, 
he has to score and get a two-point conversion to even push it to overtime. Minnesota doesn't listen to, or I guess analytics and numbers would tell you to go for it. I think if you have Russell Wilson on the other side of the field, you don't mind putting him out on the field if you know he can't win because there's no way you can score nine points on one possession. Seattle doesn't, I mean, not that they should listen to me, but they go with the analytics, they go for it, they get stuffed on fourth down, Russell Wilson drives down, game-winning drive, Seattle wins 27-26, Russell Wilson for MVP. Finally, Monday night, supposed to be two games, Denver, New England, and a whole bunch of other games get pushed around. I don't really know what's happening, it's more of just... As as I'm watching games and they go, oh, this game was supposed to be in week, week 6 and now we're in week 11. That's kind of how I'm going to figure it out. But Monday night, LA Chargers, they lose in overtime to the New Orleans Saints. They were up big at halftime. Drew Brees led them back. And really the Saints kick a field goal in overtime. Justin Herbert gets a bit of a drive going, gets a 4th and 7 tries to throw across the middle to Mike Williams. Marshawn Lattimore pulls him down just, I don't even think it was a full yard, just inches away from getting that first down and keeping the drive alive, but doesn't happen. Saints win 30-27. to The poor Chargers are 1-4, and and they really, they should have two wins at least. That's just... They've all been one possession games. They lost an overtime to the Chiefs. They lost an overtime to the Saints. They had a ridiculous Tom Brady five touchdown comeback. Or not not down five touchdowns, but Tom Brady threw five touchdowns in a comeback win against this Chargers team. This really isn't Justin Herbert's fault. He's been in battles now with Patrick Mahomes, which he found out seconds before kickoff that he was starting. He was in a shootout uh, with Tom Brady, and... He, not a shootout, but he was in a tight game with uh, Drew Brees in which they had a shot at the end of regulation. It was a 58-yard field goal, but they had a chance to win the game. They don't. They lose the coin toss, and once again, I know they kicked a field goal, so the Chargers had a chance, but I guess in this case, I can't do my NFL needs to change their overtime, but the Bengals and Eagles tied this year, so... Why not just both teams get a possession, and then we go from there? I guess maybe just in the playoffs, because I think we deserve to see both offenses get a chance. I think both teams should have to play offense and defense in overtime. Something fell. Um, All right, besides that, uh, new episode Friday Friday night, because I don't think anything else is really going on now. Just besides, we'll have NBA news, I guess. News, rumors, MLB playoffs will continue. We'll have uh, Tuesday night football, actually, Buffalo, Tennessee. We'll have, I don't think there's a Thursday night game now because Kansas City, Buffalo was supposed to be Thursday, but I don't think a team should or is going are going to play two games in 48 hours, so... That game got pushed back, I think, to Monday night now, so we'll have a Monday night doubleheader. So no Thursday night football, but still do a Friday, maybe even an early Friday episode. We'll we'll just have to see. And 
Besides that, we'll see you next time.